the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into our last hour of this year. I wanted to do something different, vastly different. I wanted a New Year's message, and I wanted to take the hour to convey it. And I've lately been uh, rediscovering uh, an old uh, scholar whose works I've really, uh, I, I was raised on and I really like. And if you don't know him, his name is Leo Buscaglia. He was a professor of education at USC for many years. His original expertise was in the area of children with disabilities, and um, he became a very popular author and speaker in the 70s and 80s. And I rediscovered this speech of his recently, and I would give it to you as my New Year's message and wish for you. Here with Leo Buscaglia. Knowledge is not wisdom. Learning alone is not wisdom. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. Wisdom is realizing that you know nothing. Wisdom is saying, my mind is open. Wherever I am, I am only just beginning. There is more to me to be realized by a hundredfold than what I know. That's wisdom. So we're certainly not our learning And what is essential? Well, sometimes we consider in our culture joy as essential. You know, I don't know of any other culture that is so bent on joy. We are lost in the continual pursuit of pleasure so much that we forget that there are other things. The minute we feel that we're in the slightest unhappy, we drop a pill or take some joy juice. Who wants to suffer, you know? We're a culture that abhors and fears suffering. Now, I'm not saying, for goodness sakes, let's groove on suffering. Don't misquote me. I would much rather teach and learn in joy. Joy is a great teacher, but so is despair. Wonder is a great teacher, but so is confusion. Hope is a great teacher, but so is disillusionment. And life is a great teacher, but so is death. And to deny yourself any of those, any aspect, is to not experience life totally. And you know, I don't know of any other culture in the world where so many of us go through life without experiencing life. We don't even know what it is. We are so protected from living. We don't know the value of money. We don't know the value of things. We don't know the value of hunger. We don't understand pain. And heaven forbid, we don't understand death. Goodness, a child isn't even allowed to be around death. You know, many of you know that I was born in a very simple and beautiful and full of wonder and wisdom, immigrant family. They, they 
all lived in the northern part of Italy where the vineyards grow. And they brought us up in a very simple way. But they didn't want to protect us against life. And we were always a part of everything. The joy in the house, the music in the house, the wonder in the house, but the pain and the despair in the house was ours too. We were not sheltered from anything. I had an incredible mama. Many of you know that she was a great medicine man and that she used to believe that garlic cured everything. And I remember she used to rub it this way and put it in a little sack and tie it around all of our necks. Line us up in the morning and put it around you. You say, Mama, that stinks. Don't do that. Shut up. She was a perfect non-directive counselor. There was never any confusion in our minds about where Mama stood. She let us know. And you know, she sent us off with that garlic around our necks, and we were never sick a day, none of us. You know, like I say, I have a theory, I know why. It's because no one ever got that close to us. <laughs> and now I'm sophisticated, I don't wear the garlic anymore, but I get sick every year. But you know, she was also a very strong and wondrous lady. And I remember when I was just 16 years old, an uncle of mine died, and he left us all a little bit of money. Just a little bit, not a lot. And he stipulated, being a very wise man, that it should be used only. It was not to be saved. It was to be spent. And it was to be used for growing in some way or another, spiritually, mentally, however, or travel. Well, my brothers and sisters were all in, deeply enmeshed in school, and I was dying to travel. And so I decided I was going to travel. And my mother and father told me I was too young and so on and so forth. And I insisted I wasn't and that that age was nonsense and that it was a matter of maturity and I was ready and I wanted to go to Paris. You know, at that time, everybody wanted to go to Paris, live in the, you know, on the left bank and have your Garrett apartment and, and rub elbows with Simone de Beauvoir and Jean-Paul Sartre and be an existentialist and paint your face white. So finally, after much persuasion, my mother said, okay, if you're an adult, fine, go to Paris. But if you want anything, don't ask me. You know, and I thought to myself, ha, by need I'll ask. So I went to Paris, and goodness you can imagine, what a glamorous thing to live in the left bank and to have some money where everybody was starving, you know. I was buying everybody lunches and bottles of wine and we would go to the Dumago and we would sit there and talk about the things that really mattered, about life and love and death and beauty. And how to change the world. You know, and pretty soon I was changing the world so fast that I had no more money. And I, I really had gotten down to just, you know, a few dollars. And by the way, it was middle November in Paris. And I don't know how many of you have ever been to Paris in middle November, but it is so cold. And a Garrett apartment is very glamorous, but there are holes in the walls and the wind blows through and it's cold and central heating is unheard of. A little fireplace where you buy wood and that's all very glamorous in La Boheme but you can also die of consumption. And so I thought, well, it's time to write home to Mama. So I didn't want to spend too much money, and so I sent a telegram, you know, I addressed it and I put, starving, felice. 
24 hours later, I held a telegram in my hand, and it read this way, Starve, Mama. The moment of truth. I have news for you. I know what it's like to be hungry. And therefore, when I go to India and I see these starving kids, it's hard to me, for me to be flippant, like the joke that says, you know, eat your things or, or eat your food, honey. They're starving in China. We'll wrap it up and send it to the mama. Hardy har har. When you know hunger pains, you appreciate hunger and you appreciate food. And you know, Papa was a very trusting man and he was always giving everything away. And, and our family was a very strange one because sometimes we were flying high and we had everything we wanted, you know, ravioli and gnocchi and spaghetti and, and sausages and you know, everything we wanted. And other times there was practically nothing. We'd make a great big polenta. You know polenta? It's a northern Italian dish that's like a big uh, cake made of cornmeal. And it's very filling. Six bites and you're dragging. <laughs> but at least your stomach doesn't hurt. But you know, we were never protected against this because every time Papa walked in and he'd sit down and you'd see on my mother and father's face a long lost expression, he would say, uh, we don't have any more money. And then he would add, what are we going to do about it? Oh, it was so nice to see everybody get together, you know. My sister would say, I'll go to the markets and collect the leftover leaves for the rabbits. And I became a vendor of magazines. Remember when they used to sell magazines from door to door? Boy, what an education that was. And everybody did something. But we experienced the togetherness. But Mama you always used to do a wonderful thing. She knew what Papa was long enough. And so she had a, what she called a little survival bottle. And she used to put a little bit of money in a bottle and bury it in the backyard for the day when we were starving. And then she used to do something outrageous with that money. You know, all of a sudden she'd bring in a chicken. But you know, we learned a lot from despair. We learned a lot from hunger. We learned a lot by being taken in and made a part of a family. More from Leo Biscaglia when we come right back. And here we will resume with Leo Biscaglia's New Year's message to you via me. And what is essential? Sometimes we think possessions are essential. Big homes. Lots of money, other people, goals, big important goals are essential. We ensure ourselves against impending doom, which we're sure is just right outside the door. And by doing all of this, we cease to live in the moment. And you know, if there's one thing that a lover is, it's someone who recognizes that the only reality is the now. Yesterday is gone. And there's nothing you can do about it. It's good because it brought you where you are right now. And you know, in spite of what people have told you, this is a good place to be. 
But there's nothing you can do about yesterday. It isn't real anymore. And tomorrow, tomorrow is a wonderful thing to dream about. It's marvelous to dream about tomorrow, but it isn't real. And if you spend your, your time dreaming about yesterday and tomorrow, you're going to miss what's happening between you and me right now. And that's the real reality. To be in touch. Tomorrow is too nebulous. You know, I don't know whether you read about it or not, but uh, two students just a few weeks ago were murdered on our campus. They were leaving a party where they had had a wonderful time and they were walking across our campus and senselessly they were both shot in the head. We still don't know why or who did it. Both of those students were my students at one time. I had had one of them in three classes and one in two. A beautiful young lady and a fantastic fellow. And you know, all I could think about when I read about it, and it was a real trauma, was I hope I have taught them at least in the time that they had to live it. I hope they weren't waiting for tomorrow to live. I hope they were experiencing right now. It's sad to think of how many people have invested so much in tomorrow when you don't know what might happen in the very next moment. And that moment may be lost. There was also a girl who gave me a poem and she gave me permission to share it with you. And I want to do that because it explains this bit about putting off and putting off and putting off. Especially putting off the fact that we care about people that we love, that we have some reason to be here. She calls this poem and she wants to remain anonymous. And I think it's obvious why. She calls this very short poem, Things I Didn't, or excuse me, Things You Didn't Do. And she says this, Remember the day I borrowed your brand new car and I dented it? I thought you'd kill me, but you didn't. And remember the time I dragged you to the beach and you said it would rain and it did? I thought you'd say I told you so, but you didn't. And do you remember the time that I flirted with all the guys to make you jealous and you were? I thought you'd leave me, but you didn't. And do you remember the time I spilled strawberry pie all over your car rug? I thought you'd hit me, but you didn't. And remember the time I forgot to tell you that the dance was formal and you showed up in jeans? I thought you'd drop me, but you didn't. Yes, there were lots of things you didn't do, but you put up with me and you loved me and you protected me. And there were lots of things I wanted to make up to you when you returned from Vietnam, but you didn't. Wait. Okay, now, I don't know about you, but I don't feel like my vehicle is what is essential. I don't know about you, but I don't think it's my education that is essential. I don't think that what is essential about me is my house or my car or my clothes. What is essential about me? Well, I think what is essential is that we learn to embrace life right now wherever you are and whoever you are.
Grab it in your arms. Don't spend time crying about yesterday. Yesterday is over with. Forgive your past. Forgive the people who've hurt you. Don't spend the rest of your life blaming, pointing the finger. I get so sick and tired at people who are still griping about what their parents did to them. You know what your parents did to you? The best thing they could do. The best thing they knew how. The only thing in many cases that they knew how. Nobody has set out maliciously to hurt their child unless they were psychotic. Can you forgive? Can you forget? Can you say it's okay? Can you say they are people too? Even if they didn't let me see them cry, even if they didn't let me share in their misery and despair, now I know they had it too. Can I take them in my arms? Can I embrace them? And don't spend your time hating you. Take yourself in your arms. Find out again that you are special, that you are unique, that you are wondrous in all the world, that there is only one of you. Hug yourself. Say, you sweet old thing. You know, sure, you're screwed up and you have all kinds of weird ideas and sometimes you do dumb things and you forget but you are a human being, and what is most wonderful about what you are is that no matter where you are, you are only just beginning. You're only just starting. There's only this much of you now, and there is an infinitesimal amount to, to discover and to find. Don't spend your time crying. Forgive yourself. Forgive yourself for not being perfect. And accept the responsibility for your own life. Take up, you know, Kazantzaki says, you have your brush and colors, you paint paradise, and then in you go. Do it. Get orange and magenta and blue and purple and green and yellow and paint your paradise and go on in. You can do that. You can do it right now. I don't know how many of you are, are acquainted with Arthur Miller's wonderful play called After the Fall. And you know, it's probably one of the most underrated works of American literature. Uh, I, I don't know whether you remember, but he wrote it right after the suicide of Marilyn Monroe, who had been his wife. And he tried to ask himself the question that I had asked myself earlier, and that maybe many of you have asked yourself, what could I have done to have saved someone in my life? And this was a play that said, I have to learn to forgive if I didn't know any better. Leo Buscaglia's message will resume in just a moment. Resuming with Leo Buscaglia's message. But in it, he has a beautiful thing that I'd like to share with you, just a short thing, that he has one of the more healthy characters in the play speak. And she says this, I think it's a mistake to ever look for hope outside of yourself. One day the house smells of fresh bread and the next of smoke and blood. One day you faint because the gardener cut his finger 
and within a week you're climbing over corpses of children bombed in subways. What hope can there be if that is so? I tried to die near the end of the war. The same dream returned to me each night until I dared not go to sleep and I grew ill. I dreamed I had a child and even in the dream I saw that the child was my life and it was an idiot and I ran away from it. But it always kept climbing into my lap and clutching at my clothes until I thought if I could kiss it, whatever in it that was my own, perhaps I could sleep again. And I bent to its broken face and it was horrible, but I kissed it. I think, Quentin, she says, one must finally take one's life into one's own arms and kiss it. Fantastic statement. It doesn't matter whom you've hurt, if you've learned not to hurt again. It doesn't matter what mistakes you make or you made, as long as you don't make them again. As long as you learn, as long as you're willing to take your life in your hands and kiss it and go on from there. Embrace your life. And then what is essential is that we accept death. And you know, I don't want to be gruesome, but I think the only way that you can accept life is to accept death. Death will teach us that there is a limit. I give an assignment in my class, as I'm sure many of you have had in several of your classes. If you had only five days to live, how would you spend those five days? And with whom? And oftentimes, the answers are so simple. And I write on the papers, I always write notes, long, long letters to all of my students. Why don't you do these things now? If I had only five days to live, I would tell so-and-so that I love them. I say, do it now. If I had five days to live, I would walk on the beach and watch a sunset. What are you waiting for? Ask yourself, if you had five days to live, how would you spend your life? And if you cannot answer that I would spend my life in exactly the same way in which I am doing it now, then get the hell out of what you're doing and start something new. There is no time to waste. There is a limit to life you don't have forever. But we're so protected from death, like we're protected from life, that most of us don't even see a body until we're in our 20s. It's no wonder we don't know how to handle death and we carry that albatross around our necks for the rest of our lives, always on the verge of tears. We've got to learn that death is just another aspect of life. It's a parting with a vehicle. It's a going on. But death teaches us to let go. You know, my, my mama died just uh, about two years ago, and she taught me wondrous things right up to the end, not only how to starve. And by the way, later on, she said to me, Felice, I want you to know that was the hardest thing I ever had to do in my life. It would have been so easy to put money in a little bag and send it. But you know, we have a large family, like I told you. Italians are prolific lovers. Thousands of bambinos. And when Mama was sick and in the hospital, we didn't believe what the doctor said to us. She's in a coma, he said. Don't worry about her. She doesn't know whether you're there or not. 
Don't bother to hang around the hospital. You'll just get in the way. How does he know? He never died. And so we took shifts. And we spent two hours, day and night. And we were with her. And we held on to her hand. And I had one of the late shifts because my classes are in late afternoon. And I was able to take half the night. And I didn't mind it. And we were sitting there all alone in the room, Mama and me. And all of a sudden, she opened her eyes. And just before that, I had said, uh, I'm going to miss her. She was a neat lady, and we had lots of fun together, and she always had chocolates to give me. And she always came up with something outrageous. And I'll miss her garlic. You notice everything I said was me? I'll do this, and I'll miss this, and I want this, and I do that, and don't leave me. You know what the last words she spoke to me were? She opened her eyes, and she had great, big, wondrous Italian eyes. And she looked at me with tears coming down my cheeks. And she said, imagine this. Felice, what are you holding on to? Hoping you're enjoying this, my gift as a New Year's message from Leo Buscock. Leo will resume. Here's more from Leo Buscogli and his New Year's message I give to you. What am I holding on to? You see what death can teach you? Death isn't a spooky thing. Death teaches us the value of time. And then we don't fit away our time. We realize how precious it all is. We realize we don't have forever. Death teaches us to look and to see and that the people that we love aren't going to be the same all the time. We don't look at each other anymore. We're so busy doing things of consequence that we haven't stopped to look at each other. You know that you won't be the same in the morning? How many of you have had, have had children that have gotten old enough to get married and when they leave, you realize that you never saw them grow up? You were so busy doing things for them that you never stopped to look at them. I mentioned this once in an, article, in, an, in an audience in Texas, and two incredible ladies looked at each other with tears in their eyes and said, you know, that's true, I haven't looked at my kid in so long, I wouldn't even be able to reproduce him. And she, the other one said, that's the same with me, let's split. And so they took off and they drove something like 40 or 50 miles away from this conference and burst into their house in the middle of the night and went up to these kids and shook them. You know, and the kids woke up and said, what are you doing, what's the matter with you? You know, and the, the mother said, shut up, I want to look at you. <laughs> My God, don't miss it. The faces of the people you love are not going to be the same in the morning, and neither is yours. Don't miss it. The trees outside of your home are doing wondrous things. Watch them step by step. It's like magic. I said to someone today, oh, your trees. And they said, what trees? <laughs> we have a governor in California who said, once you've seen a tree, you've seen them all. I'd like to send them to Wisconsin. <laughs> Heaven forbid not to stay here, just to look. 
Really, really the saddest phrase to me is when I hear somebody say, I only wish I had. Well, you know, you can. Is he sitting next to you now? Look at him. Is she sitting next to you now? Look at her. Touch her hand. It's not going to feel the same. What are you afraid of? Kiss her! <laughs> oh, God, you have reached the point of death, said Thoreau, without ever having lived at all. Death teaches us this. Death is a good thing to know. In Asia, death is in every street. Children grow up with death. They're not fearful of it. It's nothing to be frightened of. There is an insurance against everything, you know? Your car, the possibility of a car. No one has ever made an insurance about the fact that you won't be sad or that you'll be able to meet death. You know, I assure you that you'll be able to meet death. $10,000, please. And yet death is the most inevitable thing. It will happen to everyone and to all of us. And it teaches us how love really is, because love is always this. Love is never this. If you end up doing this to love, you end up hugging yourself, which is a pretty lonely thing. When you keep your arms open, people come and go as they will anyway. You have no control. I refuse to allow you to die. What are you holding on to? Experience it. Experience life. Agonize, writhe, scream, cry, and then let it go. And then what is essential, I think, is to live life in wonder. All this magic that's around us that we let go by. In Asia, they say that, you know, life is a great river and it will flow. No matter what you do or do not do, we can decide to flow with the river and live in peace and joy and love. Or we can decide to battle it and live in agony and despair. But the river doesn't care. In either case, all of our streams run into the sea. It's up to you. And then finally, what is essential is not only to take from life, but it is essential that we put something back into it. We've really forgotten how to give. I have several things that I give to that in quotes, because I send it to other lands, I can't deduct it from my income tax. And people say, you're crazy. How sad. We've really forgotten how to give just because we want to give. I love you because I love you, not because I expect your love back. If I give expecting something in return, I am sure to be unhappy. When you say good morning to someone, you say it because you volitionally want to say it, not because you expect something back. 
If you accept something back and they don't say it, then you're bummed out. And you say, I knew I shouldn't have said good morning. <laughs> you know, I have, a, I have a feeling all the time when I go around, and I get it sometimes too, I say, good morning, and somebody turns to me and says, wait, we reached this point. Do I know you? And I say, no, but wouldn't it be nice? And sometimes they say, no. <laughs> and that's their privilege. But you know, I did my thing. I said, hello. They did their thing. They either said hello back or they didn't. If we don't expect, we have all things, says Buddha. You love because you will to love, not because you demand to be loved in return. You give because you will to give, not because you expect something in return or someone to pat you on the back. Flowers bloom because they must, not because there are people fawning over them saying, beautiful flower. You live because you must. I had a girl in my office just recently who sat there, I swear it, for almost an hour talking about me, me, me. Now she, this is a quote, now I'm not sure what I want from life. And finally, the good old non-directive counselor who's just like mama shouted out, what the hell are you giving to life? She too. What do you mean, what am I giving to life? What are you giving to it? Every day you take from the ground, you take from the air, you take from the beauty, you take from the flowers. What are you giving back? What are you talking about? What the land, what the air owes you? We never think about what we're putting back, do we? We just simply take. And we will conclude in just a moment. Don't go away. Here, Leo Buscogli concludes the New Year's message for you. I have stopped asking the question, what is there to do? That question is so vast and overpowering that you become impotent. But I do ask the question, what can I do? And to that, there is an answer. And you can ask yourself, what can you do? And to that, there is an answer. Perhaps Leo Rostin was right when he said, the purpose of life is simply to count, to matter, to have it make some difference that you lived at all. And maybe that's what's essential. And lastly, I have a, a wonderful time with words, and I love to play with words, and I wrote a list of words that I feel are a guide to what is essential. And they're very simple, and here they are. One, right knowledge to supply you with the tools necessary for your voyage. Two, wisdom to assure you that you are using this accumulated knowledge in the, of the past in a manner that will best serve the discovery of your present your now compassion to help you accept others whose ways may be different from yours with gentleness and understanding as you move with them or through them or around them on your own way and harmony to be able to accept the natural flow of life and creativity to help you to realize and recognize new alternatives and uncharted paths along the way. And strength to stand up against fear and move forward in spite of uncertainty and without guarantee or payment. And peace 
to keep you centered, and joy to keep you songful and laughing and dancing all along the way, and love to be your continual guide toward the highest level of consciousness of which man is capable, unity, which brings us back to where we started, the place where we were at one with ourselves and with all things. So the study of love has brought me to the study of life. To live in love is to live in life. And to live in life is to live in love. And let me lead, leave you with this. To me, life is God's gift to you. The way you live your life is your gift to God. Make it a fantastic one. Thank you. God bless you all, and Happy New Year. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.